We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. We're reading about God proclaiming judgment on people who have rebelled against him, and the prophet is the one that's proclaiming the message. But the book of Jonah is a little bit different. It starts similarly to how other prophetic books start, and most of them start in this way, like the first, first verse does. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, and then gives him a message to proclaim. But what happens in Jonah is different than the other prophets. Because what we're going to see is the book of Jonah ends up being the story of how God relentlessly pursues his prophet who continues to run from him. And so it's this story of mercy and grace and redemption in, in a way that is unique. And when we look at a, a book of the Bible like this, we're meant to ask ourselves, Who am I like in this story? Am I like the prophet who who knows God but but doesn't want to walk in the things that he's asking me to do? Or am I like the sailors that we'll be introduced to who who did not know God and, and, and come to a realization that the only way they're going to survive is if they turn to him? Or are we like the Ninevites who committed great acts of evil and, and were totally undeserving of mercy. And yet this God extends it to us. And so Jonah is, is a different book in, in, in some intentional ways. And, and instead of, of reading about how the prophet pursues people with God's word, we're going to read about the God who pursues people with his word. And how, and how these different groups of people respond to that word. The book of Jonah, it's, it's kind of like comedy. So, so some authors will, will kind of draw this comparison. So, so if you think about something like Saturday Night Live or some other you know, comedic show where, where there's kind of these skits done, and, and what typically happens in a comedy is there's these actors who are portraying characters, and oftentimes they're doing ridiculous or outlandish things that those characters wouldn't really do. And, and the idea is, is that there's, there's, it's, it's funny, there's some dramatic uh, intention there to, to get you to see some different things in a funny way. Well, the book of Jonah is kind of like a divine comedy. Because in the book of Jonah, we see characters acting in ways that they don't typically act in the rest of the scripture. We see God, God's man, the prophet is the only one in the book of Jonah who runs from God, who doesn't want anything to do with God. And the rest of creation obeys God. We're going to see that the wind and the waves obey God. We're going to see that the sailors or, or the mariners, that they obey God. We're going to see that the Ninevites who have done wicked, evil things in their city, they turn to God and obey God. And the one person in the book of Jonah who doesn't obey God is the religious man, is the prophet. 
And it reminds us of the New Testament where we, we, kinda, we often see this sort of thing where, where the religious people of the day, they're, they're, they're missing the point. When Jesus is preaching, it's often the religious people that don't get it. It's often the religious people that are actually disobeying God. And then we see him tell parables about men who, like tax collectors, who, who were wicked and evil and, and took from people who, who, who didn't have much. And they beat their chests and on their knees plead with God for his mercy. And similarly to how we see that in the New Testament, that's what we're going to see in the book of Jonah, is where God's man, he runs away, wants nothing to do with God, and everyone else in the book wants everything to do with this God. They begin to see more clearly than Jonah does. And so the book of Jonah is kind of like a divine comedy where, where the characters don't act in the way that you expect them to. And, and it's intentional to get us to see some things about ourselves and our relationship to this God who pursues us. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and, and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So everyone knew the city of Nineveh in the ancient world. Nineveh was much like a modern-day city, like, like, a, like a New York or a London, where everyone knew where it was, everyone knew what it was, everyone knew about this huge city in the ancient world called Nineveh. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and, and the Assyrians were a, a wicked, violent people. And yet they ruled over the ancient world. They were one of the great powers of the day. And so everyone knew Nineveh. The people who weren't Assyrian probably didn't like Nineveh at all. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So even as God is telling Jonah to go and proclaim his word to this city, he notes that the reason he's sending Jonah is because of the great evil in the city. One author, Anthony Carter, he said, Nineveh, it's kind of like Gotham. If you think of the kind of the Batman story and the city where Batman enters in, it's this city that's filled with great wickedness and evil and depravity, and it's in need of saving. And similarly, with Nineveh in ancient Assyria, in the ancient Middle East, God says, their great wickedness has come up before me, meaning he has noticed it, seen it, and he's sending his prophet, or trying to send his prophet to proclaim his word to this people. And here's the interesting part, is he, he's not even telling Jonah to go say, hey, hey, turn to God, he's gracious and merciful and loving and steadfast and faithful. No, he's telling Jonah, their evil has come up before me. Go and, and preach against it. Go and proclaim my word against them. And Jonah, what we're going to see, he doesn't want to do this because he knows that when God's word is proclaimed, he is incredibly gracious and merciful, and sometimes he turns the hearts of wicked people back to himself. And he doesn't want any part of it. Jonah has seen their great evil, their wickedness. He, just to give you kind of an illustration, this would have been like telling someone whose family was beheaded by ISIS to go into a city where ISIS was in control and to start preaching. 
Can you imagine how hard that would be? Can you imagine how, how much you wouldn't want to do that? If, if your dearest loved ones had been taken from you in a violent, gruesome, awful way, and then God says, go to those people and preach my word. This is what's happening in the book of Jonah. The Ninevites, they, they were ruthless and deplorably violent people. They, they would often cut off all but one limb of their enemies, and then they would leave the one limb so that they could shake the hand in, in mockery as they died. Then they, they would stretch out, in other circumstances, people's limbs with ropes so that they could flay them alive. The Ninevites, the Assyrians, were a wicked, gruesome, violent people. And Jonah wants nothing to do with this, so he, he refuses. He refuses to preach to them. I once had the, had the privilege of meeting a pastor that, that pastors a church just outside of Mosul in Iraq. And, and the interesting thing about it was that as I heard him talk about the book of Jonah, he talked about it in a way that was so real that I, that I hadn't really read it this way before. Because ancient Nineveh was in the same area as the modern-day city of Mosul in Iraq. And this pastor, as he's pastoring this church there, he begins to start this Bible study with some men from the area, from Mosul, and, and he begins to walk them through the book of Jonah. And so the first week, they open up to the first chapter of Jonah, and they're, and they're starting to walk through it. And they get a few verses in, just like we are right now, and one of the men begins to be in total despair, begins to be emotionally distraught. And, and the pastor asks the man, he, he says, What's going on? And he said, I'm from Mosul. I'm from where ancient Nineveh was. And if Jonah doesn't go, and if others who serve and love God don't go, then my people will never hear about the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And he was distraught and despairing because, because he knew the consequences of, of, of when religious people don't do what the God of grace is asking them to do in pursuing people with his word. He knows the consequences are eternal. And so he despaired. And so as we think about our own lives, like, 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 I'd, I'd never read the book of Jonah like that. See, when, when I came to the book of Jonah, here, here's how I read it. I, I read it, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. So, so he tells Jonah what to do. And then it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And I thought, what an idiot. Why would anyone do that? Why would they run from God's presence? Why would they run from, from a God who has constantly shown himself to be faithful? Why would they run from a God who, who knows all things and is always good, steadfast, and true when nothing else in the world is? You see, we come to the Bible often thinking that we are better than the people we're reading about. But here's, here's the reality that struck me as I heard this man's story was that I do the same thing on a regular basis. And so do you. We all do this, where, where God calls us to make disciples. This is what the church is to be about. 
is making disciples of all nations, of all peoples, taking the gospel with us everywhere that we go, sharing it with everyone that we can so that they might have the hope of knowing God through Jesus Christ, that they might have the hope of knowing mercy and grace despite the wicked ways in which they've walked throughout their life. You see, and, and you and I, we, we, we kind of do this thing where, where we experience God's grace and then we let it stop there. Where we say, God, thank you for saving me. But if we truly understand what it is that God has done for us, then, and if we truly love God, then what it does is it drives us to love the people around us. It drives us to pursue them with God's word. And so when we come and we look at Jonah, we, we must not say, look at that idiot prophet. Because the book of Jonah is trying to get us to see something that we do. That we rebel against God, that we run from God, that we run from God's will. And so the, the question we ask ourselves is, is who might God be calling you to share the gospel of grace, mercy, and hope with that maybe you've been resistant to? Maybe it's a coworker that you, you don't particularly like. Can we be honest? I mean, we're Christians. We should be able to be honest, right? Sometimes at work, we, we don't like people. We, we struggle with people, okay? The reason we struggle with people is because we're all sinners and we get into one place, and when you get a lot of sinners into one place, problems start happening. And so we're resistant to sharing the hope of the grace and mercy of God that we have received with those who are sitting right next to us five days a week. You think you don't run from God's will? You do it every day as you sit in your cubicle and refuse to say anything to the person next to you. You don't have to buy a fare and get on a ship and run as far away as you can because you run from God on a daily basis. Maybe it's a coworker for you. Maybe, maybe it's a relative. You know how hard it is to share the gospel with your family? Man, I, I'm speaking from personal experience. You know how much courage that takes? It takes a courage that, that you and I don't have in ourselves. It takes a courage that only God can provide and a wisdom that only he can provide to teach us how to love those who are closest to us well. Maybe it's not a coworker or a relative for you. Maybe it's a friend or, or, or maybe it's an enemy like it was for Jonah. Maybe it's somebody who has wronged you in a deep way. And yet you know God's mercy, you know God's grace, and God's saying, Preach, proclaim my word, call, call out, but you don't want to. And so like Jonah, we, we turn, it says in verse 3, look, look at what this says, and, and let this strike you for a minute. So God, God has just spoken to someone here. God has just spoken to his prophet, and the next two words are, but Jonah. You know where problems start in our lives? They start in but Jonah or but Grant 
or but James, or, you know, I'm trying to think of hypothetical names here, but fill in your name. Problems in life, life, life starts to get really messed up whenever, whenever we hear God speak to us, and, and he says, here's the way, walk in it. And we say, but no. It says, but, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jonah goes on this fool's errand believing that he can actually run from God, the God who's pursuing him, who's coming after him, who's speaking to him. And he has the audacity to think that he can actually turn and flee from this God and escape him. And the irony is, is is later we're going to see that Jonah confesses that this God has made the earth and the sea. Yet that's exactly where he flees to, to try and get away from God. You see, things start to go wrong in life when God's word says A, but we do B. We foolishly, we expect God's blessing instead of tragedy when we pursue our own will instead of God's will. And in areas like sexuality or, or money or power, we think, I can do what I want. I know God has said that, that sex is meant to be enjoyed in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman forever. But I want to do this. And we run from God. And we say, I know the scriptures teach that, that God is the one who actually provides for me, not my, me, myself, and I, and all my hard work, but God's the one who pr- provides all the resources I need in life, and yet I actually want to do what I want to do with all of my money and, and give no regard to what God wants me to do with it. We think, I want to do what I want to do with my position at work or in my home or, or whatever we want to do. And so whenever we get power, we begin to lord it over the people around us instead of modeling the kind of servant leadership that Jesus did that we read about in the book of Matthew and other places. You see, we begin to do B when, God says, when God's word says A. And this is when life gets difficult for us. And I'm not saying that if, if you walk with the Lord, you're going to avoid difficulties in life. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want you to hear me say that. Because Jesus promised that if we walk with him, life's going to be hard. Because we're living in a broken world that is devastated by the consequences of sin. And, and just if, if they didn't like Jesus and his disciples... What kind of prideful audacity do you and I have to assume that they're going to like us as we follow Jesus? You see, here's my personal struggle. I, I, I often struggle with wanting to please people. But, but Jesus said that you're going to experience tribulation in life when you walk with him. You're going to experience persecution in life when you walk with him. You're going to experience difficulty in life. But, but here's, here's the point I'm trying to make from Jonah. Is that, is that we kind of have this mindset that we can do whatever we want and expect or, or feel entitled to God's blessing. But do you see how that doesn't work? When, when God says, do this, this is the way, walk in it, this is what will be good, this is what will be true, this is the way you should go. And we say, no, I, I think I know better. Maybe we don't consciously say that, but our actions prove it. 
And then we expect God's blessing, which can only be found in connection with him and knowing him and walking in his will. So Jonah, Jonah he, he runs from God, and, and it's audacious and futile, and, and, and it's a mistake. And, and here's what we see about Jonah and some of the other characters in the story. Here's what we're going to see just in chapter 1, is that there's these, this group called the Mariners. They're, they're sailors. They're, you know, they, they sail for a living. They, they transport things on boats and, and different things, and, and, and they didn't know God. I didn't know the one true God that made the earth, the heavens, and the sea. And yet, three times we see that the sailors are afraid in chapter 1. And three times with God's man, the prophet, we see this, this repeat of him desiring to flee from God's presence. And so three times the, the sailors are, are, are saying, man, this is showing me like things are not right. I, I need to be afraid. And then it culminates in this fear of the Lord God. But then with Jonah, it's just this consistent desire to get away from God. And so Jonah goes to Tarshish, which, which was as far opposite as you could go from Nineveh. It was the exact opposite direction, and it was essentially the, the end of the, the known world at the, at the time. Jonah didn't know how to go farther. So he said, here's how I can get as far away from God as, as I possibly can. And so I'm going to get on a boat. I'm going to pay for the fare. I'm going I'm I'm to do everything I can to get away from God. I'm going to use all that God has given me, and I'm going to run. So, so he, his destination is as far away from God as he can possibly get, and he begins to go, go, go down to start to get there. And here's what we see in Scripture is, is oftentimes as you go up, as you go up to the mountaintop, the mountaintop was oftentimes a place where you could meet with God and God's presence was there. The city of Jerusalem was on a, a hill or, or a mount. And, and then whenever you go down in Scripture, sometimes like, like here in Jonah, it's essentially to go away from God and his presence and his people. It's to, it's to run from God. And, and so here, here's the question. Have you ever tried to run from God? I, I know some people who, who have literally moved, like picked up and gone to different states or different cities or different churches over the years. That they've literally moved to try and get away from God. When, when God's word began to confront something in their life through his people and community, they, they, they ran. They packed up and fled like Jonah did. Uh, often we, we, we kind of attempt to make faith private and a private thing, and, and then we avoid how God uses his people and his word to mold and shape us, to correct and encourage us. And so we isolate ourselves. We, we often do this kind of thing when, when we get depressed. So sometimes, much like Jonah, we, we run away. We isolate ourselves, we, and we go to sleep. Jonah goes down into the boat, and, and he just goes to sleep. God has been calling out to him, and Jonah's response is to run from God, go down into the boat, get as far away as he can currently, and headed as far as he possibly can think of, and he goes to sleep. 
Similarly, you and I, we oftentimes, when we don't like what life is looking like, when we don't like something that God is asking us to do, we, we retreat. We isolate ourselves. We, we begin to not reach out to, to friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who can, who can confront things in us and encourage us. And, and we retreat and we isolate ourselves. And, and, and sometimes we, we literally just go to sleep to avoid life. Maybe for you, that's not how you typically respond. Maybe for you, uh, you know, running from God looks like when you get stressed or, or depressed or upset. Maybe it looks like you start binge-watching Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. Uh, or, or maybe it looks like you, you, you get online and you start looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at for hours on end. Or maybe you struggle with overeating or, or relentlessly scrolling through social media and looking at how everyone else's lives seem to be perfect and then just wallowing in your sorrow about how broken your life is and how you don't like where God has you and where God has asked you to be. You see, in all of these ways and so many more, we, we run from God when our world doesn't look like we want it to look. We run from him, just like Jonah did. But, but here's what the psalmist said about God's presence. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, remember Jonah? Even there, your hand, will guide, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Here's what he's saying. There is nowhere that you can run from and hide from God's presence and power. There is not a circumstance in your life where God is not sovereign over it. No matter how dark and difficult and how much sorrow it brings. There, there is no, no place in life he's asking you to go where, where you might endure danger or evil that, that he is not with you. There is, there is no place that you can run from him in your own sin in which he does not see you and call out to you to turn back to him. We cannot hide from God's presence. It's, it's prideful, audacious, and ridiculous, frankly, to think that we can. And God speaks to us, and, and, and yet we run. Because, because here's the thing, we, we realize that God's word isn't about our plans, but his plan. And, and because God's word doesn't tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear, we run. Just like Jonah. And so we come to the second thing that just like we run from this God who relentlessly pursues us, we also see that we are unaware of the danger and destruction of our sin and rebelling and running from him. We're unaware of how it, how it impacts our life and the lives of those around us. We, we don't see it. We don't see clearly because here's the thing about sin. It blinds us. Jeremiah says about our own hearts that our hearts are deceptive and exceedingly wicked and, and that we don't have an accurate perception of ourselves and that the only one who can search the heart and know it is the God who made it. We don't know ourselves well enough 
to determine our course in life, friends. We deceive ourselves into thinking we can. And so like Jonah, we run, and we're unaware of the danger and destruction of sin. Verses four through six, here's what we read. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. Here's what we see. We see the the unbelievers seeing more clearly the circumstance and the real need. And Jonah lays fast asleep. We see in verse 4, here's what happens. The Lord hurled a great wind, and this kind of chaos and destruction abounds. As Jonah's rebelling against God, it has some very real consequences for him, even though he's not aware of it at the time. He's laying fast asleep, and yet his life is in total danger. And how often is that where we're at? Or when we run from God and rebel against God, our life is in complete and utter danger and we are completely unaware because we're pursuing what we want. And God's word is saying, listen, there's a storm coming. And and running from his word does not result in the things that we think it will bring. The, the Lord, he, he hurls this great wind. And, and so the kind of picture we get here is that God is so mighty and sovereign over everything that is, everything that he has made, including the earth and the sea, that even as Jonah runs to the sea, he's sovereign over it. And so he hurls the wind at the sea as though he's like throwing a shot put. You know, he, he's like hurling something. And, and he does it with such power and force that the sea begins to react to God's own power. It's almost like God just skips a rock and the kind of ripple effect that God's power has starts a storm that can break a ship apart because he's that sovereign. He's that powerful. He rules over the wind and the waves. He is the creator God who rules over everything because he made everything. And so, so the sailors, they're, they're afraid. They're seeing this and knowing we're in real trouble here. The sailors, they're afraid. They, they have this proper response to the situation of the time because they're beginning to see it clearly that, that they are at the complete mercy of a deity who is the one that's actually in control. And so meanwhile, Jonah, he, he's stretched out and in a deep sleep and, and it's this response of, of nonchalance, apathy, and, and ignorance of how his sin is, is affecting his life and those around him. Do you know your sin affects those around you? Oftentimes in ways that we don't see or perceive. That's why we keep doing it. You don't see how your addiction destroys your whole family. You don't see how what you're doing late at night is tearing your marriage apart. Because we think if they don't know, how is it harming? That's not the way that God has designed it to work. 
You see, our sin oftentimes has a real impact, not just on our life and our well-being, but on those around us as well. And we are blind to it, and we need God to shine light into our darkness and show us, because it's one of his greatest mercies when he reveals himself to us and reveals to us our actual state. We're, we're in real trouble. And, and if God has shown you that recently, I want you to see that as an incredible mercy that God has pursued you in such a way to, to show you that you're in real trouble, and, and he's calling out to you to, to turn to him. That you might have hope and life everlasting in Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing about, about the storms in life. Is that the only place you can actually find hope is the God who's sovereign over the wind and the waves. So I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know what you're bringing into the room today. I don't know what you're struggling with deeply and intensely right now. Some of, some of you I do. Many of you I don't. But, but here's what I know regardless. Is that the same God who was sovereign over the storm and, and, and started it to, to get the people who were on that ship to see their need for him. Oftentimes sends storms in our own lives so that we might see our need for him as well. And we can trust this God who's sovereign over the wind and the waves. In Mark chapter 4, here's what we read about this same God who reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what we read. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling. It was a, it was a sinking ship. They were in trouble. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Here's the difference, though, between Jesus and Jonah. As Jonah sleeps, he has no control over the wind and the waves. He's at the complete mercy of God. What we're going to see as Jesus sleeps is he is the God who is in control of the wind and the waves. There's a complete difference in the reason they're, they're sleeping here. He was in the stern asleep in the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and listen to this, how incredible this is, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have, have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What if the reason that you're going through a storm in life right now is that God wants to show you that you need him? And that he's the one that's actually in control and that without him you're in real trouble. And then if you'll turn to him, he's sovereign over the wind and the waves in such a way that he doesn't even have to worry when they're swirling about him because he controls them and orders them and he can say to them with one word, peace, be still, and they stop. Finally, we see that a proper response to this to an encounter with the God who created all things involves prayer, obedience, and worship. 
And we're going to see that the ones who see this, it's not Jonah, it's not God's man, the prophet. It's all the others. Just like the wind, the waves just obeyed God as he hurls a wind at them and they do what he wants. All of creation responds to God in the book of Jonah, except for, for Jonah. Here's what we read, verse 7 through 16. And we're going to fly through this. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so casting lots was simply this, this idea in the ancient world. It's not exactly like rolling dice for us, because when we roll dice, we're, we're essentially gambling for the outcome. In the ancient world, they were, they were recognizing that they were at the mercy of a deity who was in control of everything. And so they cast lots as a humble act of faith so that the, the deity or the God would show them what to do. And so they cast lots to see, why is this happening to us? And, and, and then they see that the lot fell, falls on Jonah and they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people, of what people are you? And he said to them, notice what Jonah says here. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. See, friends, Jonah even confesses that God is God. Jonah knows intellectually the truth about God. But Jonah is the last one in this passage who is actually fearing God. You see, it's possible to know the truth about God and not live your life in submission to God. It's possible to know that God is God and still you and I, we want to be him. We want to determine our own course and Jonah is this way. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. There's that phrase that third time, because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that the great, this great tempest has come upon you. See, we might be tempted to think that like Jonah is, Jonah is ex- exercising sacrificial love here. That he's begun to see some things. But I, I, I don't think that's what's happening. I, I, I think that Jonah is saying, you know what, if I couldn't escape God through all these other means, then maybe if I just die, I can escape him. Friends, it, sometimes in life we get to a place like that where it's, it's incredibly hard, we're in despair, maybe we're angry. We don't really know what else to do, and so we just try and get rid of it all. But here's the thing. You can't escape God. Period. There's nowhere we can run from his presence. And why would you want to when, when this God pursues you in this kind of way? Wants you to know him. Wants to rescue you. Wants to show you how to find joy and delight in him and, and his will. You see, Jonah, he, he probably thought that, 
what God was asking him to do was dangerous, and it was. He probably didn't want to do it at all. And I, I remember this, I'll never forget this story that my grandmother told me about a pastor she had uh, that's been a real friend and mentor to me. He, he told her as she was thinking about going on this dangerous mission, mission trip one time, she was, she was worried about it and didn't know that it was the right thing to do and, and just didn't know. It was one of her first trips, and it was going, they were going to a pretty dangerous area. And, and he said, Charlotte, here's the thing you have to know about the will of God. Is that you are the safest that you can be when you're in God's will. And when you are outside of his will, that is the most dangerous place you can be. And so if God tells you, go preach to your enemies, that is the best place for you. If God tells you, I'm going to walk you through the midst of a struggle with addiction or depression, that is the best place for you as he walks you through that and is present with you. As God, as God leads you in life, wherever he's leading you, as you hear his word, as you read his word, as you respond to him, that is the place you need to be. And, but Jonah, he, he's not seeing it. Even though he knows these things intellectually, it's not a functional belief of his, of his heart. Instead, he's acting on different beliefs, and, and he runs from God, and, and he doesn't see these things clearly. And, and, and so the, the mariners, they don't want to throw him overboard, and so what they do is they try everything that they possibly can. They, they, they start to row and with all their might. They, they throw things overboard. They, they, they get rid of all the cargo. They, they row with all their might. They, they, just, they try and escape the storm. And you and I, we do the same thing. We look around at life and we're like, this is awful. I don't want this. I want it to be different. And, and so with, with everything that we've got, we try and escape. You know, we, we try and get to a different situation. We try to change our circumstances. We try to, with everything in us, by our own strength, our own wisdom. We, we get rid of all the cargo. We row with all the strength we've got. And, and hopefully, if, if, if God is gracious to us, he, he brings us to the end of ourselves. Because what the mariners realize, if we keep reading, is that none of our efforts can rescue us. The men rode, verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you. See, that's what we have to realize about life, friends, is that God is God, and God is in control, and he does what he pleases. And when we realize that, we come to God in the midst of trials, just like these men did, and we pray. This is the first part of, of a proper response to God, is, is humble, desperate prayer. They realize they can't do it themselves. And so, you know, you know this week, I, in, in ministry, sometimes pastors have long weeks. Um, this week was one of those for me. And I, you know, as I looked at the start of the week, I had 10 meetings on my schedule and, and praise the Lord, one or two ended up getting canceled. Um, but I, ha I had 10 meetings scheduled. I knew that I had to preach twice. And most of those meetings were going to be counseling sessions where I was, I was trying to help people walk through some difficult things in life. 
And, and as I went through my week, here's what I realized. I didn't have it in me to be sufficient. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how much wisdom I thought I had, what God, what God graciously was showing me each day is I had a week that was too full and, and as people were dealing with intense things and, and, and as I didn't have the skills to, to do everything in my own might, as, as he revealed that to me and he, and he showed me, he's God, he reminded me of my desperate need for him. And so I cry out to him and I say, God, I can't do this without you. I need your help. And my, and my prayer for you as we go through Jonah is that God might show you that on a daily basis. He might continue to remind us of this, that, that we would see that we need to desperately rely on him in prayer. And then just like they do here, they, they obey the prophet, they, they actually throw him overboard when they realize we have to respond to God so they see God's man saying, throw me overboard, and so they obey, and they, they, do, it, what they do what they think uh, God would have them do in this circumstance. They pick up Jonah, hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so they rely on him in desperate prayer. They do their best to obey what they think God is asking them to do, and then they fear the Lord rather than their circumstances, rather than what's happening. They begin to realize God's the one that's in control. Our fear has to be not placed on our circumstances, but on the God who reigns over them. Friends, this is what we need to see, is that fear rightly placed is placed on the God who rules and reigns over everything. And the, the, these sailors, essentially, they get saved. They, they realize some things. They, they realize that, that they need to fear the Lord exceedingly. They, they realize that they need to offer sacrifices of worship. They, they realize that they need to make vows or, or commitments to, to trust in this God and follow after him. And so, friends, have, have, have you done that? Because this God is relentlessly pursuing you calling out to you. John chapter one, as John begins his gospel, he says that Jesus is the word of God that was from the beginning. He was with God and he is God. And later he says that this word of God took on flesh to dwell among us, to pursue us, to be with us, that we might know him and have everlasting life in him. So friend, wherever you're at today, I'm gonna pray, and as I pray, would you just go to the Lord? Would you cast yourself on his mercy and his grace? And if you'd love to talk more about that, we would too, we'd, we'd love to, to talk with you. Come see us after the service, or, or reach out to one of us, we'd, we'd love to meet with you. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful this morning. Lord, we're grateful that you are sovereign over us, that you are in control, that you 
are able, that you are present, that you pursue us who rebel and run from you in a relentless way with your mercy and grace. And so we're reminded this morning, like we sang earlier, that your mercy is more. And so Jesus, God, I just pray that you would help us to see our need for you. Help us to turn to you and not run from you like Jonah. Help us to turn to you in a, in a healthy fear of who you are, recognizing what you've done for us. I pray for my friends today here who, who may not know you. God, I ask that they would hear your voice today calling out to them and that today would be the day that they turn from trusting in themselves to, and, and their sin to trust in you alone. And God, I'm so grateful for celebrating today with, with some who have, have made that decision to trust in you and follow you. So God, would you give us the grace we need to continue to do that on a daily basis, no matter what our circumstances look like or what life brings our way. Give us hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.